Hey, I'm Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Joseph. And I'm Steve. We're exploring a simple question. Why do people do what they do? Welcome to Working Title. So, Beth, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us today um, via phone. Um, and we start off every podcast with just this, you know, simple question. Um, you know, imagine you're at a, you know, a cocktail party. You're sitting next to someone on an airplane. Small talk inevitably leads to just the uh, simple question of what do you do? Um, and so what is your brief answer uh, to that question? Um, it's funny because like you get that question a lot here in L.A. and it's hard to like people are always like, oh, what do you do? And they usually mean like for money. Right. <laughs> um, and so it, it takes a while to like be outspoken about what you do even though you don't get paid for it. I mean, my short answer is I'm a comedy writer. Um, but yeah, but it's always that thing where you help. I don't know if this is too long, but you know, you're like, yeah, I do this. And then they're like, Oh, you know, what room are you in? Or, uh, who's your agent? And then you're like, Oh wait, no, <laughs> like not there yet. <laughs> but yeah, I guess that could mean a hundred different things out there. It could mean, yeah, you're extremely famous and writing for something extremely famous or you are living in a broom closet and you write comedy for yourself. You go to the coffee shop uh, once a week and write. Right. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, it takes a certain level of confidence to say that, even though you're like, oh, I'm not getting paid for this. Currently, I did get paid for it. I'm going to get paid for it. But like in this like interim time, maybe I'm not. Um, But yeah, comedy writer. (laughs) Yeah. So to... For people that are listening, uh, you and I were in uh, Fort Lauderdale as teenagers together. And so I don't even know that I know this. How did you get from Fort Lauderdale to being in L.A. right now? Um, well, I've always been interested in screenwriting. And when I was in high school, I like my favorite thing to do was like in drama class, we wrote this play. And I was like, oh, this is my favorite thing we've done. Um and I've always leaned towards satire with stuff. And so when I went to, cause we went to college together too, right? Yeah. You went to Southeastern. <laughs> For a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So at Southeastern, um, well, I went to a different college my freshman year. And when I was there as a freshman, I just took a bunch of film classes cause I really loved film. And like from there I was like, Oh, I would love to be a film major, but like that's a pipe dream that would never happen. And then when I went to Southeastern, they were starting, uh, like that, like a pilot program basically for film. So I took like a line producing class, a screenwriting class and really loved it. And then wrote for the newspaper and all the stuff I wrote for the newspaper was satire or would lean towards satire, um, which was hard at a Christian college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Understatement. but yeah. And I think that, you know, being at Southeastern, I really liked my screenwriting class and my professor was like, you should move to LA. And there was like a internship program, like a film internship program. And like the more I thought about it, I was like, Oh, I want to do this internship, but it would mean one more semester of college, another 10 grand. 
in debt, basically. Um, and like what would happen when I was done with my internship. So I didn't, so I just graduated. I didn't do the internship and then spent a year of being like, I would love to move to LA, but it's so hard. I live in Orlando or like close to Orlando. And then just one night I was like, I need to move to LA. And I'd been talking to somebody who talked about how they had a friend that moved to LA as a live-in nanny. And so that way they had their travel out there paid for. They had, you know, a place to live. Um, and so I applied for that. And then like the next day a family wrote back to me and then a week later they hired me. And then two weeks later I was in LA. That's so nuts. Wow. Yeah. So like from the time that I like said out loud to people like, Hey, I'm thinking about moving to LA to physically being in LA was three weeks. <laughs> yeah. That's <was> great. <laughs> and so first of all, I think it's interesting that like, Southeastern, which probably my guess would be, and correct me if I'm wrong, is something that's like a weird, like four year fever dream thing. Cause it's such a unique and weird thing compared to where you are now, uh, right. ends up in some roundabout way, sparking the idea to go out to LA, even if it wasn't right. through the path that they said, like that, I guess that was just more of a comment, but what's the so you, you land in LA, you're living nanny and it's like, okay, well I want to do comedy stuff. So how do you, how do you even start looking for that? Do you like start finding open mics or do you start looking for rooms or what's the deal? Right. I mean, it's hard. I always loved Derek comedy, which was, uh, Donald Glover's sketch group in college. It was like him and these two other guys. And they had this movie called mystery team. And I love that movie so much. Um, dumb movie but it was great and uh when I moved to LA I was like obsessed with Donald Glover and I was like he's so funny he's so talented like I want to do what he does and we all are by the way right well because at the time he was he wasn't really doing music he was on community and just I was obsessed with watching these sketches online and so I found out about UCB the Upright Upright Citizens Brigade Theater And I like went to a party and I was like talking to somebody at this party and they were like, oh yeah, you should check out classes at UCB. It's a really great way to get connected in the comedy community. So I started taking their sketch writing classes and then from there took their improv classes, which I did a little improv in high school and wanted to do it at our college, but something, I I don't know, something about Christian improv just didn't settle with me correctly no God. <laughs> not that it has to be whatever but I was just like what are we doing here no brutal um, there's like so many parameters and like for improv I feel like there should be no no parameters but yeah of yeah, course. It's, not, it's just I think everyone has a different path and it's like a conversation that we can like I had this conversation with somebody last night for three hours at a bar of how like everyone has a different way of getting in and finding what they want but I think you know, I knew that I loved comedy. I always gravitated towards comedy. Like in college, I would listen to so much stand up. I would watch every single comedy film that came out. Um, and I was just like obsessed with it. So I knew, and I know too, I have more of a sarcastic voice. So I, that's what I wanted to write. Um, and it just came easy to, with, to me. And it helped too, because I got lucky. I moved the family that I lived with. The dad is a TV writer. So he would give me advice and he would help me like learn how to write scripts 
and like point me to the different people I should talk to. Um, so yeah, so it was just like, that's, that was my way of finding that I really like comedy and how I want to write comedy. Um, like other people take classes at other theaters or they do come out and, you know, it, some people do stand up. Like my old roommate, she's a huge successful stand up now and she did open mics for eight years leading up to that. So like everyone has like their different path, but you kind of have to, it is hard to figure that out because it took me six months to start classes at UCB when I first moved here. Yeah. I mean, comedy in, you know, to people on the outside looking in, I mean, it just, they might see it as just a single category, but once you get in that, I mean, it's so nuanced. I mean, there's such a enormous difference between being a stand-up, doing improv, or even being a comedy writer. Each of those have such a unique skill set. Uh, so were you finding yourself just kind of honing your talents and, and trying to discover which element within the larger comedy category that you are mostly inspired by or find your talents best suited for? Oh, for sure. I think, you know, I started off with the sketch writing classes and then somebody was like, you should take an improv class. I was like, oh, I don't know about being on stage. Like I kind of just want to write. And then I took an improv class and just fell in love with it and then hit improv so hard for like four years. What do you love about improv? I love, you know, like on stage, you just create something out of nothing you know, and it was fun to have that moment with like your friends on stage and like you're creating this like weirdo scene in this weirdo world. And it just felt freeing and nice. But at the same time, you know, UCB has a structure. So you have like, you know, we take classes. There's so many classes that you take of improv. So you can figure out like they have a thing called game and they have a thing, you know, of beats and everything. And you just get in your head about that a lot. And I think for me, it was a struggle to be like, I need to be the best at improv. And uh, I kind of wish I only did improv for a couple years and then worked on my own stuff too. Because um, it's like, I have to be good at improv. You know, people are hiring improvisers in the writing rooms where it's just like, no, they're just hiring unique voices. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, improv is great. And it's where I've met all my close friends, everyone I want to work with or I work for. So that's great. Um, but it, you do get like, oh, well, I mean, they're saying now that they want this because, you know, it's hard to get staffed. And so you just kind of follow whatever people are saying. And so for a while it was like they're staffing UCB improvisers and now they're staffing stand up comics. And now they're staffing people that you know, are brand new to L.A. and that have fresh voices. So you're just constantly trying to find out, like, OK, how can I do the thing that they want? Um, while still not losing your mind. And like a note I got in improv was do improv till you're not having fun anymore. Like once you stop having fun, don't do improv anymore. And mm. that's completely true of it. Um, once I stopped having fun on stage and it became, cause there's a lot of rejection. There's so much rejection you face out here. And I was like getting rejected from these improv teams. And I just was like, what am I doing? Mm. <laughs> this is nuts. But you wow. did, but you did have a successful, I mean, you were performing, not just taking classes, but you were doing yeah. nights at UCB, which for people that are listening that may not know, UCB is not a small deal. It's like, it is comedy. Like it is the pipeline for everybody funny that you love, basically, yeah. whether it's New York or LA, that's a huge deal. For sure. Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, who has it produced every, I mean, is, like even the Amy Poehler's, Will Ferrell's, uh, right? Aren't they came through yeah. UCB? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Amy started it. With, oh, um, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, she and three other guys started it together. Um, I mean, now it's become, I mean, it's huge now. Well, they, um, they, they have a lot of classes and stuff. And so what, I yeah. guess that's the distinction that I'm making is there's a lot, there's a million people that have taken classes at UCB. There's not a million people that have had standing nights at UCB that they are, you know, headlining or whatever. Right. And it's easy to forget like my success in that too, I think, because, you know, there's so many levels of success out here and you never feel, sometimes you just never feel like, oh, like, well, now I want the next thing and now I want the next thing, you know? And so it's just like, oh yeah, I have a show that's running at UCB, but I didn't make a house team. And uh-huh. it's like, oh, I wish we didn't have like, you know, these qualifiers every time, but yeah. I guess it's also hard. You're talking about your old roommate and, uh, you know, doing stand up for eight years and you hear all these stand ups that I love talk about just being on the road in these nowhere places and being thrilled that they got any gig and making $25 that night and, you know, spending more in gas to get there. And so that just feel, I mean, eight years of that, that feels like nothing. And then all of a sudden, I guess she's a big deal now. And so it, do you find it hard to like, try to zoom out enough to see yourself in that process? Yeah, I go through my moments of it. I mean, I think it's a struggle to when you're like getting older and people are like, Oh, like you're 29 and you're broke. What? (laughs) You know, like you have those feelings of, will I ever make it? And then you see other people's success and you, you know, compare yourself to them. But then you're like, well, I'm still having fun and I still love the thing that I'm doing and I know one day it's going to hit. So I just have to like right now be okay with what I'm in and be grateful for that because it's so much better than maybe something else I could have been doing that was more, you know, financially secure or safe. Um, Cause I wouldn't give like how, you know, where I'm at right now, I wouldn't give up any of that um, for like, if I, you know, became, I don't know, an IT person at 25. And right. made money. I don't know. Doing something I wouldn't want to do but just because it was secure. When you, you said, uh, how many years ago was it that you said you, you made the transition to LA? I moved in 2010. 2000. So it's almost been nine years. Okay. Was it, uh, you know, obviously I, I know the internet was a thing in 2010, but was the, you know, now it just seems like a lot of comedians paths go through, you know, the, just taking a little bit of more ownership of their path and like creating online videos and content and things like that. Was that a thing back in 2010 or have you seen that, um, grow in nature? And then also, is that something that you have taken advantage of? I think when I came out, it was like people were still, cause that's how I found all the Derek comic. Derek comedy videos. I mean, uh, they were all self-produced and on YouTube and, but I don't think there was a lot of people doing it. And so that's why those videos were elevated and everyone saw them. Um, I think it was always like a note of like, make your own things, like go shoot sketches. Like I shot so many sketches when I first moved out here with people that were, they're terrible sketches. <laughs> Nobody should ever see them. They're so bad. Um, but yeah, I think that like, even now with Instagram, 
you know, at first it was like, oh, like Instagram's like where you post cool photos of yourself and I'm going to be cool and not post anything. And now it's like, oh no, like over promote yourself, do dumb characters on Instagram. Like people are watching it. Um, people are, are using different mediums to do videos. And I think that I wish I took more advantage of it. Um, I mean, it's also hard because I'm not a performer. Um, so like everything I write, I have to like find actors for and stuff, but it's like, yeah, I like created a web series like four years ago and did like a five, uh, episode web series. Cause it was like, everyone needs to have a web series online and just like, it's your portfolio. Like people would rather watch something than read something. Um, so yeah, like it's, I've seen it go through like a very big, like everyone's doing a video to like, okay, no one's doing videos and now everyone's doing this. They're doing live shows. And now it's like, okay, now you're doing these shows. <laughs> so it's interesting to watch. And like, you know, Twitter, it's like, you have to have a Twitter presence and a voice on Twitter and people are plucking writers from Twitter, like just how online is used. And I think it's a good resource. Uh, I'm glad we have that option because before it was just, you know, you wrote a pilot and hope that somebody read it somewhere somehow. Yeah, that's interesting. I, it's it's a double-edged sword, I guess, because in one way it's a way to put yourself out there, and then in another way you can also just be constantly putting out content, thinking that it's doing something or feeling the pressure to, and it's really not doing anything. It's not you're not finding like a direct correlation between the work and uh, any kind of return on it. Right. And that's the hardest thing. I mean, when I released my web series, it was like, um, who's going to view this? How many views <laughs> is going to get? Who's going to tell me it's good or not? And then it's like, you get all your friends telling you it's good. And it's like, all right, but what about the strangers? Like, what about people that matter? <laughs> right. Um, like, I don't care if your mom saw it. I don't care if like, this producer saw it. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So I, there's not many people that grew up in the setting that we did uh, in terms of church wise that end up doing UCB and like, and this is not, this is not to say that, uh, that I don't think that you were funny, but it's not that I don't remember during that time you being 15 or 16 or whatever as like that being your primary thing. It's not uh, like you said, you're not a performer. You weren't the person who was the loudest one trying to make everybody laugh the whole time. Like how do you, I guess one, how did you work your way out of that whole thing? And then two, like how do you feel like that this voice was always in there the whole time? It was just waiting to come out. I, does, I know that's kind of a multifaceted question, but does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I think like, you know, I'm a big people pleaser overall and, you know, growing up in church, it's like, I wanted to please our pastors. I wanted to please like what, the church wanted from me, you know? And when I was allowed to like not being that setting and like be with friends that were like, not like, like, you know, Annalise, uh, yeah. it was just like, Oh, I love making jokes. I love making fun of these things. I love <laughs> doing all this stuff. I love looking around our room and being like, this is weird. <laughs> you know, like, what are we doing? What is happening here? Whereas like in church, I felt like if I said those things out loud, I would get in trouble. Yes. Um, and I even remember like showing dumb YouTube videos at like our youth pastor's house one night and somebody was like, this isn't funny. This is really mean. And I was like, uh, 
<laughs> I am dying laughing at this right now. Like, what do you mean? Right. Um, and I think like once I went to college, I was able to like expand that a little bit more and just feel like less pressure of like needing to like come across as good and like, yeah, everything in my life is like about God or whatever. <laughs> um, Cause I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want anyone to like, I don't like people, people to criticize me for something that I don't think is criticizable, I guess. Um, and so, yeah. And I guess like in college, it just, I leaned towards like when I was writing the newspaper, I was like, I just want to write jokes. I just want to write satire things. I watch the soup every single week. Um, <laughs> I skip chapel all the time so I can watch dumb comedy stuff. <laughs> and and there was yeah, a lot think, of stuff to critique. And, like the, I said, and there was a lot of stuff to critique that needed to be critiqued, that desperately oh, yeah. needed to be made fun of. And same for in high school. It's like somebody needs to stand in the middle of this and go, this is weird. This is right. real, real extra weird. And We're walking 20 miles on a Friday <laughs> for Good Friday. <laughs> and we're all doing this willingly. <laughs> yeah, like... That when I one of my favorite things in life is to explain to people what a human video is, like, because <laughs> it, it is it is like the most it is the most normal thing in the world to like to the subculture that we were in. But then right. to, to other people, you're like, all right, so here's the deal: there's going to be about mm, eleven between fourteen and seventeen year olds that are all dressed in black. They're going to walk onto a stage and there's going to be a really cheesy Christian song that comes on. And for four and a half minutes, all of them are going to dance together and mim and mimic themselves drinking, killing themselves. <laughs> right. And then Jesus is going to come out in white at the end of it. And then the song's going to be over and everyone's going to clap and stand right. up and clap. You're like, what? It's insane. And it's, yeah. And I think that... <sighs> Oh my God. I forgot about <laughs> human videos. <laughs> um, oh gosh. Yeah. And I think, but I think that we all knew that it was a little weird, but we all played into it. Like I just remember hanging out with Victor all the time and he would just be like, well, I'm going to do this human video. <laughs> what are we doing? But I guess we'll do it. Um, yeah. It just, I think too, like, we all had like a sensible head on our shoulders too, but it's hard because there are a lot of rules in place and you don't want to like make people think that you're crossing those rules. And so making fun of something feels like you're crossing those rules. You know, I mean, I remember we would get so excited and maybe this is bad, but we get so excited for the baptismals on Sunday night because something would always go wrong. <laughs> of course. And it was just like so funny, but we would have to like sit there and be like, I couldn't sit next to Victor during baptismals. I'm like, we cannot sit next to each other. We're going to laugh out loud. We're going to get in trouble. Well, because they'd give the microphone to people and then they would, they right. would do, you know, 14 minutes of something that was, yeah. It, it, something dumb happened every single time. Right. Why? Well, I mean, how did so, we, how did we arrive at laughter being, you know, sacrilegious or whatever, or, you know, like how did it become, uh, not part of the way in which faith is expressed. I, right. No idea. I, think, I mean, I think now it's getting more like, oh yeah, because of the like Christian memes that I'm 
that I see that I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, and I think people are a little more lighthearted because there is like comedy is supposed to be relatable. And if you can relate to something, you feel like more a part of something, you know, I think that's why like comedy is very unifying. And even like in our darkest times, we can watch some dumb sketch and be like, all right, if everyone else thinks this is funny, I feel like I belong and I should like, everything's going to be okay. But I just think that, you know, in church, it was hard because you were like, I don't want to be seen as the comedian. I want to be seen as like the person that, you know, is the most glorifying God or whatever. (laughs) And it, yeah. And I, I don't know, like I, I mean, I'm not a part of the church anymore, but I respect people that are. And I think that like for me moving out to LA and being able to be funny with my friends out here was like a breath of fresh air. Cause I didn't feel like anyone was looking over my shoulder or being like, you can't say that. Or like, it's not, you know, not that we were making crude jokes or anything. And I think the thing that is a big misconception is like that commie writers are all like these like dumb perverts or whatever. And it's like, no, honestly, like the thing I like about UCB the most, it's like, you see how like in your one-on-one classes, which is the first class you take, everyone's saying curse words and everyone's going blue on stage, which is like, you know, doing like dumb sex stuff, which sounds bad out loud, but it's not, you know what I mean? No, I don't. Um, Yeah. But it's like, they, they go to that part, but then as improvisers mature, it's like you rarely see them say curse words, like all the veteran ones, and you rarely see them go blue and you rarely see them do anything that's like, I don't know, like weird or whatever. And it's like, yeah, it's like, it's comedy. Isn't about, you know, who can say the F word as many times in a sentence. It's like, it's about what's the funny thing about this weird situation, you know? And I think I learned that coming out here of like, Oh, I can still do comedy and not feel like I need to be edgy in a way. Um, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, th- I mean, this is this is kind of a big question, but like, do you see comedy? Well, okay. So, coming out of the faith that you were in, um, you know, you you felt as if it uh, created restraints for you in a sense, as far as like what you could joke about, what what you could laugh at, and all those things. Right. Um, and then, you know, sure, you felt this freedom as you moved into to LA and everything but, but do you do you feel almost these restraints being um uh, built again by like uh, like whether it's a PC culture or you know as we're kind of getting you know with these sensitive issues and you right. know do you feel that type of pressure um and then you know the other side of that would be I just would would comedy, you know, be the bridge to to break those those types of of barriers. And, as you know, if you can make fun of something um, and laugh at it, you can get people talking about it in a maybe in a healthy way. Right. I mean, I think it's really interesting how, like, you know, now people are like, you know, the snowflakes or whatever and how like, oh, we we can't say this anymore. And it's like. I think it's good that we can't make fun of like marginalized groups anymore and use that as like a, cause it's like punching down comedy in a way, you know? Right. But it's like not about, Oh, we're not making these jokes anymore. It's like, Oh no, we're just going to make better jokes. Now we get to like 
expand in a way because it's not about like doing the easy, like, well, women do this or, (laughs) you know, it's like, no, we get to, to get past that finally and do something more universal, you know? And when people are like, I don't know, like this guy, Nick, whatever his name is, put out some dumb comedy album, basically being like, you know, like the cover is him like sticking his middle finger up to, you know, one of the uh, Parkland students and the Black Lives Matter guy that he like died last year. And it's like him being like, I'm saying the things that, you know, should that no one's wanting to say right now. It's like, yeah, no one wants to say it because it's dumb. It's bad. (laughs) And so you get to say other funny things. And there's so much good comedy happening right now that doesn't have to do with like, oh, is this PC or not? It's like, no, we all know what that is because I think, you know, it's morality shouldn't be contained in like one religion or one thing. It's like a universal thing. You know, we all know like this is good and this is bad. We don't need somebody telling us what's good and bad. It's like if somebody's felt marginalized their entire life, like why do we still need to keep reminding them of that, you know? And, you know, it's like, you know, I'm a white person out here and I'm constantly putting myself in check to make sure that like, I'm not saying something that could be offensive to somebody. And I don't think that is holding me back. I think that's growing me as a person because then it's like, Oh, I didn't realize that I was blind to this. And now that my eyes are open to this, then I can like focus my attention somewhere else. Whereas like, you know, when I was growing up in religion, it just felt like, if I accidentally say a curse word, am I going to get in trouble? If I like talk about my body, am I going to get in trouble? You know, like that kind of stuff that I don't think is punching down at all. Um, yeah. Cause like, I think that what I write right now isn't like straight up, like you're not going to see it on like an NBC Thursday night lineup. <laughs> hopefully not. Well, hopefully I can write for them cause that's so much money. Um, <laughs> But it's like I like writing from like real situations and like real circumstances that like I've gone through or people could have gone through and then kind of making light of it. Um, So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it definitely does. I I uh, that it is such an interesting thing. The whole I think the reason that church world stuff is not funny is because the line is so far back that like. To, to disrupt that, you, I, I heard, well, I can't say that. It's like the, the jokes that people say are, the, the thing that it's breaking is so, is so inane or so childish that it's, it's like, this is actually not funny, guys. This is where everything is taboo. And so the, on, the line of what's funny is way too far back. But then there is another line on the other side where it's like, no, we don't make mentally handicapped jokes anymore. That's just, we don't do that as a society. So I think it is weird. The whole, like, I don't know. I I just think that's a very interesting point of what's like you said, punching stuff down. Right. Well, cause it, you know, you watch any movie from before 2010 and you're like, Oh my gosh, what? (laughs) Like they had that joke in there or like they had that, like even, you know, fat phobic jokes it's like that there's so much of that in like early 2000s comedy and and like movies that you love sometimes i'm scared to rewatch a movie because i'm like oh am i gonna find like this sexist joke in it or am i gonna find like 
this racist joke in it. And, but then you see how people can evolve from that, which I like. Um, and how like, we're trying our hardest not to write that. Um, because it isn't about, like, if you're making a joke in a room and it makes someone feel bad, then it's not a good joke. And that's like a conversation I've had with a lot of people. It's like, it, you know, I even think like when people make jokes against religion, I'm like, you're making a whole set of people feel bad. Like we don't have to do this, you know, we're all better than this. Um, but yeah, hmm. yeah. So hopefully it just keeps getting better. I don't know. Yeah. So I always feel like we, Oh, go on. No, finish that thought. And it's just like, I always feel like we're getting more and more progressive and then something happens and you're like, Oh, well, there, here we go. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So what, so what does make, what makes you laugh then? What, you know, um, whether, you know, give us an example of a, you know, specific type of, of comedy or like what, you know, I know it's a tough thing to answer, but like what, how would you describe, you know, what is funny to you then? I think for me, what really gets me is like, if you're watching a show, like, I don't know if you guys watch Pen15. Um, Chelsea and I have, yeah. Yeah, it's like that show where you're like, this hits me so hard because it's like I was in those situations and then I'm able to laugh at it because it feels relatable. And then also like, I don't know, Tim Robinson's sketch show that's out right now where it's just so goofy where the guy just doubles down on being an idiot is so great. I think that's uh, the one that Andy was telling us about that we have to watch that we haven't watched yet. Oh, oh yeah, that was just recently recommended. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I mean, it is insane. Because um, I love silly things, and I love... Yeah, I just like love when people are silly, and I think that's a good way to describe it, because I'm describing his sketch show now. Yeah. Um, or when you... Like, I read this pilot that my friend wrote, like, actually this morning, and... I like, had a message her because I was like, you have so many real moments of like, this is what something that happened in my brain, but I was too afraid to say it out loud because it sounds insane, uh-huh. you know? Um, and just those moments. Uh, Cause you know, it's like cool to like have like a setup and a punchline, but it's even cooler to be like, Oh, like calling out what the weird thing is in a situation. Um, and also I like, I love things that are based in reality Cause I watched, I think catastrophe is my favorite show. It's like, uh, Rob Delaney and, uh, Catherine Hogan, I think her name is. Um, but their whole show, they write it together and they play a married couple on the show. They're not married to each other in real life, but they really deal with relationships in a very real way. And they don't follow the trope of a relationship, which I really like. So they'll have a fight. And instead of them, just like the whole episode is about this fight, the fight will end and then they'll make fun of each other. And it's like, Oh yeah, that's like how real relationships work. Like you work through stuff and then you can like still love each other, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like anything really that's like grounded in like real life, but then is silly. I love. Yeah. Genuine honesty always, always is what I want. I think, I think it's Mike Berbiglia that says that the more specific something is, the more universal it is. So any yeah. anybody that's willing to like uncover something that's like truly uh, vulnerable or expo- exposing themselves in a way that's like, holy crap! Thank God somebody said it because I've thought it a million times, but like you said, I'm not willing to say it out loud. That's I think that's the job of the comic is to is to expose themselves. Right. 
I mean, it's a lot of vulnerability because sometimes you, you know, I'm on Twitter a lot and sometimes I'll write a tweet and I'm like, will this hit <laughs> or am I just crazy? <laughs> well, that's, that raises, so that raises a good question then. So like, what, what's your motivation then as a comedy writer? Cause like, um, you know, I, oh, who was it? I think I've heard, it might've been Norm Macdonald being asked this question at some point because he was talking about, he doesn't see comedy as an art form. Um, that some people would would say that it is because he's he he talks about how you know if you're an artist and you're just expressing yourself you know if you do a sculpture or something like that you know you're putting your creation out there but with comedy it's like there is this motivation to please the the recipient of it um because there's one validation if it makes them laugh, right? So like if you're a, if you're whether performing stand up or you're writing a comedy, uh, you are, I, I would think that it isn't just this pure expression of self as an artist that, that you have to be motivated in some way of receiving the validation of the laugh in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is like a, you want to get validated for your work. I feel like everybody wants to get validated for their work. Um, and I think, cause wait, he was saying that it's not like an art form cause you're just trying to like, please. Yeah. To some degree, I, I forget what yeah. he called it as opposed yeah. to an art form, but, but basically, yeah. I mean, where, like say you create this modern piece of art or whatever, and it's like, you know, the, the, the viewers of that do not get to say whether or not it, it's good or not. It's all in the interpretation, but you know, comedy isn't necessarily as much left up to the interpretation because you know did did the audience laugh or not yeah a piece of right. art a piece of art could disturb you and it did what it was supposed to do or it could delight you and the artist doesn't care he's just putting out his pure expression whereas a comedian you can say that you do stand up but if nobody laughs you're not going to keep doing stand up period right yeah, so I yeah. guess the, it comes back to like, you know, what what is your, like, as you're working on a piece, what, what are you thinking through as far as motivation? Like, will they laugh at this or? Because um, you're writing this morning, right? Right, yeah. Um, I think for me, it's just like to be able to have creative expression and like put it on paper and then like hopefully someone can relate to it. It's like, that's what I want, you know? And it's like, I love writing narrative. I love telling stories and I love like, I just love all of it so much. And I think that's what keeps me doing it. And there is like validation. You know, it's nice when I send my pilot out to somebody and they're like, oh, this is really, really good. Keep writing, you know, like then it makes you feel like, oh, well, maybe I am supposed to be doing this, you know? But then you get, you know, 10 more rejections of people being like, yeah, no, we're going to pass. We're going to pass. We're going to pass on this. You know? And then you feel like, well, is this worth it? Like, am I good? Or am I not good? Do I change my writing voice to fit this mold? You know, but at the end of the day, I think it's just like so gratifying to me personally to tell a story and then hopefully that'll be received. And I don't know, like I love, writing like I love being able to like beat out a script and put it together um because it's nice to like almost live in a fantasy world in your head because like you know we have all call everyone has like conversations in their head of like oh I wish this is how it went you know 
And to be able to like maybe put that on paper <laughs> feels nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I get it because there are, you know, like notes on like my pilot or other pilots like that people would just be like, you know, you should have more jokes on these pages because people want, um, you know, five jokes per page and it needs to be in this format. It needs to be three acts. And it needs to be like this. You know, like, well, I don't want to write a three act structure. Or, like, I don't want to write you know, this. I want to write what I want. So there is a little bit of compromise to it. Um, but once you start shooting it, it just feels so great too. Uh, and you, like, I think putting something out there, even if you feel like it's bad is better than not doing it at all. And just like repressing that like creative spirit or whatever. Yeah. A lot of it is just, especially with writing, what is just putting out content, right? I mean, you're going to write a lot of things that you will look back in you know a year or two and think well just like you were talking about all those sketches that you had filmed and yeah. you know and I'm sure you're not gonna it doesn't sound like you're gonna be throwing those up on YouTube anytime soon so right, but no it's way. just it's just putting out content and, and and working on your your skills then right because I think your voice grows too and it's like whatever age you are it doesn't matter I mean a big thing it's like well I'm I'm in my thirties now. Like this person that's 23 got a writing job. And I'm always like, well, what are they going to write about? They don't even lived yet. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that there's not a lot of young stand up comedy or comedians. Right. right? Yeah. Well, there are and a lot of them. You've just never heard of them because they're, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. They're still trying to figure it out and trying to find their voice. And they're going to like say things that are, you know, not funny. Right. <laughs> that are maybe offensive, but I think being able to like grow that, cause everything that I write, you know, like I'll look at a pilot that I wrote three years ago and I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> this is terrible. But at the time I loved it and I don't want to take that feeling away of like, Oh, I loved writing this thing and now I'm writing this thing and now I'm going to get to write this thing again, hopefully. Um, and it's just like nice to, I don't know. I think being out here too, just surrounded by creative people. If you're in, you know, comedy or writing or whatever. So it's like nice to bounce that off of people and like feel their creativeness and like their drive and how no matter what they want to get it done. Um, yeah. If you're around yeah, people like, that are making stuff and that are, are working, it makes you a lot more motivated to do the same thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I hope, that answered your question. I feel like I keep going off on tangents. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's good. Well, at the, towards the end of the, of the episode, we just kind of speed it up a little bit. Um, and just ask a few quick things. Uh, the first thing I, w <laughs> I want to ask is, is there any, is there any guilty pleasure from youth group days that you still do that you would never tell any of your friends in LA? Um, music wise would be the thing that I was thinking of specifically. Oh, like listening to music. Yeah. Still, yeah. still practicing human videos. <laughs> <laughs> um, quick side yeah, mind on human videos. I, I also did them in college and my group was the first year that we did away with face painting and like oh we we literally might have felt like we were the the kids smoking outside with leather jackets <laughs> like we were the rebels 
<laughs> I, I actually want to do like a, a actual study of how that came to be because I do remember <laughs> that like, you know, in 1997, there was just a lot of people painting their faces and doing Weren't there gloves involved. Like, oh yes, of course. Yeah. Well for us though, no, that went away with the face paint. It's way cooler than that. Oh God. So weird. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Oh, no, that was amazing. I love that. Yeah. Joseph, what was your question again? Oh, the guilty pleasure. Um, I think, like, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, I was just training for a marathon, and I put Kirk Kirk Franklin on my running playlist. Very nice. And was, like, really pumped up when his songs would come on. Did you you feel like more than a conqueror? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to start a revolution. (laughs) Um... Yeah. I don't even know if that's a Kurt Franklin song, but it just felt good. Um, <laughs> it's probably somewhere in there. Um, I do enjoy, I do enjoy like kind of like the nostalgia of gospel too. Um, it makes me feel safe in a way. Uh, yeah. Cause I definitely am not like anointing doors with oil as a guilty pleasure. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh. Because, I mean, I listen, I I thought the music I listened to was really good, and I think it still holds up. Like, not like, you know, like Me Without You and um, Under Oath and all those bands, even though I'm in my 30s and I'm like, I have a headache. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think what else happened in youth group? Yeah. Yeah. What about, what about, you know, comedy people that you looked up to? So like what, you know, give us some names of some of the, the people that you respect and look up to, um, both in like the improv world and then in maybe the stand up world and then even maybe the comedy writing world. Um, for writing, well, I guess, let me think for writing. I really like, uh, now I'm blanking on her name. I'm blanking on her name. Um, I really like, uh, well, my roommate is my inspiration, Beth Stelling. She's the best for stand-up. Uh, She's so funny. <laughs> uh, I mean, John Mulaney, too, is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Uh, I mean, him and Nick Kroll together just kill me. Um. Their Broadway I thing guess. was hilarious too. Oh my god, it was the best. Uh, I've recently started liking features a lot more and like leaning towards writing features. And so Greta Gerwig is, you know, my girl. Mm. <laughs> that everything she does, I'm just like, yeah, this is what I like. Um, and then, as far as like improvisers go. Like, I don't know if you know Lennon Parham or Jessica St. Clair. They did Playing House together. I know those names from, uh, they've been on Comedy Bang Bang, I believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're great because they just, they're just like an inspiration to keep working hard. Because, you know, a lot of the stuff doesn't hit till later. And you like see how like they worked really hard and like it hit later. And there's this one writer, Katie Dippold, who she's written for Parks and Rec and she wrote Ghostbusters, like the female one. Um, and she wrote The Heat, I want to say. But it's just like, I 
think she's so funny. And every time I'd write, I would watch Parks and Rec, I would be like, oh, this is a Katie Dippold episode. And then I would find out that she did write it. Yeah. Um, and so it's just people like that that I'm just like, oh, I, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Beth, Beth uh, Stelling wrote uh, for Pete Holmes episode so she can she can fit into two oh, categories yeah. then she can be a yeah <laughs> your fave writer and stand up yeah oh she's uh she's writing on a bunch of things now i don't know what she's i think she's writing on the sarah silverman show and um i'm not sure what she's doing right now i think she's doing a lot of stand up we don't live together anymore so it's hard to keep tabs was was saturday night live ever a goal of yours no, which is funny because like I did sketch, but I don't know. I love sketch writing. I don't want to make it a career though. And mm -hmm. I would always feel like if I got offered a sketch job, I would take it, but it's not something that I particularly want to do, but it was easy to do sketches here. You know, like you could take classes at UCB and then write a sketch and shoot a four minute video so much easier than, you know, writing a 90 minute feature and shooting a 90 minute feature. Right. Um, but SNL to me, like I like SNL. It feels like the people I've known that like have been on SNL or on SNL. It's like long hours, which anything is long hours. But to me, I'm just like I don't know if that's worth it for me. Um, I think I would. I mean, obviously, yes, I would 100% take a job at SNL. But I'm not. If Lauren is emailing. listening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not emailing him to get my packet over there. Right. Okay, so what talent uh, do you have that uh, your friends even, or, or most people would be surprised that you had, or what talent do you wish that you had that you absolutely don't? Um, Career-wise or just any talent? <laughs> just in general. This could be juggling or anything. Um, I wish I was a lot better at baseball because <laughs> I play on a fast-pitch baseball team out here, um, and it's become my life and I love it so much but sometimes I'm like oh yeah I wish I wasn't so scared of the ball <laughs> um and it's interesting because it feels nice to like not focus on comedy stuff anymore and so I'm finding other things that I like doing now but yeah I just wish I was like a better baseball player yeah. that's awesome I actually <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite things that you post about on Instagram because you're not kidding <laughs> about it you're very dead serious about baseball right now yeah, I love it. <laughs> Did you grow up playing, or is this a new thing? I played softball in high school. Softball and running were, like, my two sports, I guess. And then um, a few years ago, I play on a dodgeball team out here, like a rec league. That's just a bunch of comedy people. And a few years ago, we were like, oh, somebody did a pickup baseball game. And we're like, this was fun. And then there's a league out here that's co-ed, and they were like, we should do this league. And so last year I was like, I'm down to join that pickup game was really fun. And then last year we absolutely got crushed in our league because we're all comedians. So we're all not athletes. <laughs> and then this year we're trying to take it more seriously. So we're actually paying attention more to like base running and like we have practices every week. That's <laughs> awesome. Really uniforms. But yeah, I, I think it's a nice release because we're also used to grinding at whatever creative thing we want to do out here. And now it's like, oh, now we get just to play baseball. And now we're so focused on it that it's almost like, okay, maybe we're too much. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. 
it's fun. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've always liked watching baseball. So it's nice to like be able to do that too. You go to Dodger games. I was there last night. <laughs> Very Love it. cool. So give us a recommendation. Like what have you discovered recently, whether it, it might be a book or podcast or a, or a Netflix show or, or any show. Uh, yeah. Enlighten us with the, with something you've discovered recently. I just blew through Rami on Hulu. Uh, it's a new Hulu show. Um, it's this guy, Rami Youssef. He is a stand-up comedian from New York and he has a show now and I really like it. And especially if like, I'm guessing like your listeners are religious too. So, some um, of the, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not a specifically religious show. It's just kind of okay. anyone. What I love about this show so much is that um, Rami is Muslim and he really just wants to be Muslim on the show. And I think that it's nice to see, even though I myself am not that religious anymore, um, it's nice to see how he's not, like, he's like a millennial, like, trying to do the thing, but he's also like, oh, yeah, like, I'm observing Ramadan right now. And I'm going to try my hardest to observe it. And like, really like he, you know, an episode, this girl is like doing another glass of wine. And he's like, uh, I'm at my limit. And then she's like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, I don't drink. And it's nice to see like somebody actually on television, you know, not trying to push back from what their parents religion are, but just being like, yeah, this is a part of my identity and I want to figure it out. And like, honestly see is this right for me is it not right for me like what should i do about these feelings of wanting to be a religion and also the show's funny and it's shot really well and i just really like did a lot <laughs> i love it that sounds awesome i'll i'll check it out yeah. uh hulu had uh oh my gosh uh what's the girl from snl's name uh she they just released it was all over every oh, shrill yeah did you watch that I did. I liked Shrill a lot. It was hard because Shrill came out the weekend. It was like uh, Queer Eye season three came out. And then the last final season of Catastrophe came out. And I was like emotionally overloaded from those two shows. <laughs> and then I watched Shrill to like end it. And then I was like, this show is good. And then a lot of people were very affected by Shrill. But I was like, I think I'm so affected by these other two shows that I'm missing some emotion now. <laughs> But Shrill is so good. That's a show that I would love to write on. Like, if I got the opportunity to write on it, I would die. It was, like that in Pen it was really, really funny. I thought that it was yeah. ri written really well. Who is it's that? It's so good. Which SNL girl was it? Aidy Bryant. Aidy Bryant. Yeah. Okay. Um, so this is unapologetically stolen from Pete Holmes' podcast, but this is the way he ends every episode, and we will today uh, and every day. Um, can you think of a time that you laugh the hardest? It doesn't have to be a funny story. It just, can you think of the time that, uh, that you just laughed extremely hard? Um, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is a few weeks ago, uh, my baseball team had like a hangout and we were at my friend's house and we decided to, uh, smoke a little weed <laughs> but, <laughs> and then we ended up watching, um, if I was like, we need to download Pluto TV and we downloaded Pluto TV and there was like a channel that was just a train. It was like a drone following a train, but it was, <laughs> the footage was not clear. And we just watched this train 
and go through some countryside for 30 minutes and then got super excited when the train went through a tunnel and then the train came out from the tunnel like we had made the other side. Like that was the big cliffhanger. Will it make it out the other side? Because it was like there's like a, you know, a a picture in picture frame kind of thing. So you have like from outside the train and then like you're in the tunnel. So it's just like the whole screen is dark. And then all of a sudden the train emerges from the other side of the tunnel and we just lost our minds. (laughs) This collective eruption of of laughter and celebration. It'd be awesome if there was just one friend in the corner that was like seeing it as a real deep life metaphor, like was very emotionally affected by it. We I, did it, it was, guys. We did it. We, we made it to the other side. This train did it. It was crazy. And I think the entire time we were so self-aware of what we were doing that we were like, why are we watching this train? <laughs> but no one could look away. No. For like 30 minutes, we just watched the train. And it was so funny. That's incredible. Well, thank you for uh, for taking the time to do this. I am a big fan of everything that you do, and I'm rooting for you. I hope that... Uh-huh whatever you write gets picked up or you make a bunch of money from it or you make a lot of people laugh. I think that, um, I, I, I mean, I know it's an outside looking in kind of a thing and I'm not the one in uh, a house that you're house sitting at just typing away on a computer endlessly, but I, I see it as a complete inevitability that you will, uh, blow up in the best way. So I'm rooting for that to happen. (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Oh, you've always been one of my favorite people, so I was so happy to do this. Very cool. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Well, you guys have a good week. (laughs) All right. (laughs) You too. We'll talk soon. See you later. All All right. Bye. Bye.